The postman hardly ever came first thing in the morning, but today he had. And he had delivered three envelopes. One containing a catalogue full of rubbishy gadgets, a dental reminder for Cheryl, and that one from the Building Society. A quarterly statement. And Cheryl had opened it, and found that the account which should have had £4,720 in it had a nil balance. She didn't know how long she stood there, unable to move, listening to Gary mooching about upstairs. She imagined him towel-drying his thick, light brown hair, spraying a cloud of links over himself, getting dressed, blissfully unaware of what trauma his long-term girlfriend was going through. Cheryl heard his feet on the stairs, watched the door into the kitchen open. She saw his eyes lock onto the paper she was holding, then flick up to her face, and from the expression she was wearing, he knew instantly what she had discovered. The words came out in a croak. Where's it gone, Gary? Where's the money? It was a rhetorical question, because she knew. She would have bet her life savings, oh, the irony, that the money was in the till of William Hill. Gary's eyes began to flicker, which they did when he was anxious. She knew that his brain would be scrabbling around for something viable to tell her. You won't believe me, he began eventually. No, she wouldn't, because she had wanted to believe him every single time, and every single time he had let her down. Try me, she said. Deep down she wished he would say those words which would make it all right, but also, deeper down, she knew he wouldn't. You weren't supposed to know. I was hoping to have it back in the account before you noticed, he said. His hands were in his hair. Oh, God, Shez, I am so sorry. I thought I could do it. One last time, for us, for the bit. No! The loudness in her own voice surprised her. Don't you dare say it. Don't you dare. He had used those same words eighteen months ago. He had taken the money she had scrimped and squirrelled away for IVF treatment in the hope of doubling it, trebling it even, he said. He'd been given a tip, a sure thing from someone in the know. She would never forget the name of the horse as long as she lived. Babyface. He had put every penny on its nose, and it had come in second. And he had cried, and she had comforted him, and told him that she forgave him, but this was the last chance, no more gambling. And he had given her his word that he would never bet on another horse or dog ever. And she had started saving all over again, and had been stupid enough to give him the benefit of the doubt, and keep their joint account going as a sign of her trust in his ability to change. But he would never change. She knew that now. They'd reached the end of the road, Actually, they'd done that eighteen months ago, and now they were well off the beaten track, stumbling over increasingly rough terrain until they had arrived at this point and could go no further. For ten years, she had listened to his Del Boy Trotter promises that this time next year they would be millionaires, and yet they were still living in the same tiny two-up, two-down rented house with no garden and damp patches on the walls, because Gary had been convinced he could win his fortune. For ten years, 
She had been trapped in a vicious circle of her saving a bit of money in a teapot, him gambling his wage away, her having to borrow back from the teapot, him promising to alter his ways and doing it for a couple of months, him gambling his wage away. This time her heart would not be penetrated by the sight of the tears slipping down his face. When she looked back later, she couldn't remember in detail what words had been said that day. She told him it was over, and he knew somehow that she meant it this time.